Welcome back to Tolkien with Friends. Uh, while we may have finished the final chapters of The Lord of the Rings, today we'll be taking a look back at the last few months of analysis and make sure we leave no stone unturned. Um, today we're so excited to welcome our good friend Annex to the podcast to discuss all of our favorite moments from the books and the movies and maybe even a few things we would have we would change or do differently. Now, Annex, first off, let's make sure that all of our lovely listeners know where to find you on the internet. So where can they do that? Sure. Um, hey, Andy, Kelly, thanks for having me on. Um, I, I'm on TikTok um, at Fantasy Annex um, or, or just on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, or just like at Annex Wilson. Perfect. So yeah. make sure to follow Annex in all of those wonderful places. Um, really so many fun videos and just, you know, for a deeper dive or just... I mean, it, you, you cover a lot of ground, um, and not just necessarily Lord of the Rings, but I think that that's, uh, I mean, there's definitely some of my favorite videos, because I know what you're talking about, because I don't know anything about <laughs> Will of Time or anything else. <laughs> yeah, I tried to you're kind of going from, like, light, you do, like, the lighthearted, like, meme stuff, um, and all the way to, like, you know, the serious lore stuff, and so, like, you cover a lot of ground in there, and that's that's pretty cool. Guys, I'm blushing. I, I just I just make stuff. I just yeah. When I get bored, I make stuff. We love it. It's perfect. Thank you. The stuff you make, yes. Big Thanks. fans. Big fans. Um also you're a wonderful person, so that helps. Um <laughs> Annex is like, maybe I am, maybe I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Maybe it's all an act. Well, no, it's not. Um so <laughs> It's executive. We're not even going to entertain that idea. <laughs> uh, so, Annex, I'm so very glad that you're able to join us for this particular episode because of your really unique introduction to Lord of the Rings. And I know you've told this story elsewhere, but could you, you know, walk our listeners through how you went from books to movies and then back to the books? Yeah, sure. Um, I think so. I found Lord of the Rings. I didn't start on Lord of the Rings. I started on The Hobbit. Um, as I think most people do, because I was just, um, I was like 11, maybe 12 years old, just started secondary school, which the Americans is sort of like, like middle the school? junior year of middle school, I think, something like that. Sure. I was in year seven, mm-hmm. seven, yeah. uh, whatever that is. Um, and yeah, I was, I was that nerdy kid who read books a lot. So I spent a lot of time in the school library. Um, and I hadn't read a lot of fantasy or like high fantasy yet, but I just came across The Hobbit um, and I really liked it. I was just like, story about this great um, thief who's like not really a thief but gets thrown into this adventure and goes on this great journey and like finds treasure and fights dragons and it's really cool and I was like this is amazing Um, and then my librarian said this is equal Lord of the Rings Uh, do you want to read it and I was like sure and I um, I picked it up uh, and for for a bit of context um, I had learned so as as an immigrant kid I had learned English about two years previously mm. when I was about nine years old. So um, reading Lord of the Rings was a lot. It, yeah. it Hobbit is easy. Hobbit is a children's story. It's a yeah. bedtime story. Lord of the Rings is not. Correct. And so <laughs> I did I did not, I'll be honest, I hated it. Um, I got lost at about the Council of Elrond because there was a lot of history stuff that I just did not get. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, but I was just determined. I, I was stubborn and I was determined to finish the book. So I did. Um, and I have vague memories of something happening at Minas Tirith. Uh, Helm's Deep is like not even in my memories mm-hmm. uh, from that initial read. 
Gollum is in there somewhere, and I just know that they threw the ring in the lava, and that's about it. Um, otherwise, there's a lot of walking and talking. Mm-hmm. So I hated it. And then, so when my friends were like, you need to watch Lord of the Rings, it's classic, it's amazing. I went, no, it's it's this boring story about people walking a lot. No, I can't be asked. You're it's like, boring. I already I know. Asleep. I already know what yeah, that is. Yeah, I've read the books. I've read the books, guys, and it's terrible. Yeah, and then, um, so yeah, for about like five or six years, I just didn't. Um, and like being born to like immigrant parents, they weren't, they didn't know what Lord of the Rings was. So I wasn't introduced through my parents. Um, and then it, I was about 15, maybe 16. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was summer holidays, and I just thought there was literally nothing else to watch. So I put on Lord of the Rings, um, and yeah, uh, with my I think I was watching with my brother, and the version I put on was accidentally like the extended editions. And oh, yeah. I, I remember that weekend I finished all three films, and it was just like, oh, this is incredible. This is wait, why haven't I watched this before? <laughs> and then like the next day, I went back to the school library, picked up the three books again, and I read them again like two or three weeks. And I was like, oh, now I get it. Like now, and by that point, I had like, you know, new English. And like, it's like, I was the reading ability to read Lord of the Rings. Right. So I thought, and then I got the story. And then I think a couple, the thing, the read after that, I was like, I got to with the language, the way Tolkien writes. And it's just, yeah. I think I got obsessed maybe a couple of years ago, but that's when I fell in love with Lord of the Rings. The yeah. Battle Legendarium and Silmarillion came later. Uh, yeah. I mean, Something really came way later for me. Like mm-hmm. yeah. I, that was one of those where I was like, "I'm gonna read this book," and then I'd be like, "Well, maybe not right now." Uh, and mm-hmm. like you know, I'd get through like the first few chapters. I was like, "This is okay, okay," and then it's like a list of names, and I'm like, mm, "Maybe not, maybe not today." Mm-hmm. Um, was it the Valaquenta? The just yeah. the list of all the Valar? Yeah, I was um, just like. Yeah. Because I really love, like, you know, the beginning with the music of the Ainur. Mm-hmm. I thought I always thought that was very beautiful, and I was like, hell yes. And then, and then I get stumped, or then I would I would make it to, um, oh, like not even maybe like a third of the way through. Like I've had various stages of the film, and then and I would just be like, mm-hmm. screw it, I'm going to Tolkien <laughs> Gateway, or like, um, I used to have this. I mean, I had um, the Complete Guide to Middle Earth that I rifled through but then i also had another book kind of like it but it was thinner and i would just use that to go look up all the like first age stuff and mm-hmm. i was yeah. like okay and then so by the time i actually did read the film i was like oh, i, I kind of know who these characters are already it's just like so much information thrown at you at once and you're not sure who is important at first because it's just mm-hmm. lists and i'm like you could have saved that for later because like, I need an emotional attachment to a character before I can remember their name. Like I need to know like mm-hmm. in relation to what they did and you know what I mean? Not just boom, 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 but yeah, neither case. It's still really in, I, I was, I was rereading one of the chapters for um, with a friend and um, they were getting really tired of like one chapter where it introduces the men coming into the West. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's one paragraph that's literally like, this is the son of this person who's the son of this person and this son married this person. And I was like, on the first read, this is boring. It's terrible. But on the second read, you go, yeah, it's just like it's a bunch of names and like you just look at a family tree instead. Yeah. But on the second read, you're like, oh, all of those names are important and all of those people have their own stories. Yeah, I just So I think so really is a book. Uh, yeah, read yeah. it twice. You need to read it twice. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I I, I just mm-hmm. wish that, that it came in a different order. You know what I mean? Like, I would care about that list after you tell me the story about yes. Turin. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. but at the, it's starting off that way. And I kind of get why they did it that way. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, phew, 
you know yeah. so but but i think that that's an important note that like if you are interested in the film like don't get hung up on it like i did <laughs> and like just just mm-hmm. keep going and it, and you'll it'll come together eventually yeah i yeah, fully just tell yeah. people I, I fully just tell people if a chapter's boring skip it yeah yeah that's what i say yeah. too like the film doesn't need to be read cover to cover mm-hmm. and it doesn't mm-hmm. need to be read in order Mm-mm. necessarily like if you're very interested in maglin you can just go to his chapter and read about him yeah <laughs> or if you're mm-hmm. very interested yeah. in Benin and luthien you can just go to their chapter and read about it 100 percent. yeah so if that's how if that's how you will be able to absorb the book and appreciate the stories, go for it. I totally agree. And if your favorite section is um, what's it called, of Beleriand and its realms, and its realms. <laughs> that, if, if that's your favorite, and if you want to know about a map, if you want to read a map, uh, read the description of a map, then go read that chapter. Yeah, that was yeah. one where what I really wish that I had had like a giant version of Valerian's on. But he mm-hmm. also mentioned some places that aren't even on the map. So then I was like, oh god, now where am I? <laughs> but um, that's neither here nor there. But with, with all that, um, I do just want to say that I love your story um, because I think it really is one of the ways that kind of highlights that there's no one right way to be a Tolkien fan. And, you know, while you came back to the books eventually, like, it's just, you know, that there's, from your story and countless others, like, it's just clear how significant the Lord of the Rings films have been to the Tolkien fandom at large, and how many more people it's introduced um, Tolkien to, but also just, like, instilled that feeling of wonder, you know? And I think that's one of the key components of Lord of the Rings. Um, you know, so with that being said, I think we can turn our attention to the movies for a minute, you know, for the bulk of this podcast, you know, I I think we've tried to be somewhat balanced, but there's just been a lot. So we primarily focused on, you know, the things that aren't captured in the movies, you know, those things from the books. Um, but I want us to take some time today to really shine a light on some of the things that make these movies, you know, so great, not only as adaptations, but as you know really timeless pieces of film like while there are a few things that are like okay that doesn't necessarily hold up like technically wise uh for the most part i mean these films are they're classics now um you know like your friend told you when they were like no you gotta watch these yeah so for i didn't believe them but but they are but yeah exactly so i would love to hear from callie and you annex about um what are some of the things that really like when thinking about peter jackson's lord of the rings what makes them stand out to you like what keeps you like besides the story and everything um because we know that that's a big part of it too like we're tolkien fans but at the same time they're just beautiful movies so i just would love to hear you know your thoughts on them as a whole and what keeps you coming back I I guess I guess we're a little bit maybe or at least I am a little bit older um, than you because I I read the books long before there was whispers of any kind of movies. I was in college by the time the first movie came out, so however that dates me is fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> no, none of us are trying to calculate anything right now. Nice. <laughs> Nobody do any math. It's fine. <laughs> um, but what I like what the movies were for me was I had loved the stories 
um, these books for a long time, but it was a very, 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 very secret love. Um, and it wasn't mm -hmm. like something that I talked about with my friends or that everyone was sharing and stuff. Like, right. I, I, I don't think I grew up with anybody else um, who read the books. Uh, so when the movies finally did come out, all of a sudden it was, it, you know, it was pop culture and, uh, all my friends were seeing it. Everyone was talking about Legolas, the elf and Aragorn, the ranger. And it made me so happy, um, just to be able to have that world and share it with other people. Finally. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's the, if I look back on what the movies were for me, that was significant um and i think mm -hmm. rings of power is doing that now again where um all of our characters from like who would have ever thought elendil would be a pop like a pop culture reference right you know? and now they're calling him you know other nicknames and and whatnot we can say it we can say it uh but, was on the but, reddit uh, talk and she said it so that's amazing we can say elendil <laughs> we're, all, we're yes. all saying it <laughs> yeah um yeah, so I think that's the magic of these adaptations is giving those of us who have been so steeped in in our secret love <laughs> with the books and stuff and bringing it all to the forefront so that we can enjoy it very publicly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's fun. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, some of I the think... things that really, I was, when I was trying to think about this, yeah, and also for me, it's interesting. It's been interesting doing this whole process because when I was younger, I mean, I read the like books right before the mo first movie came out, and so I feel like my experience with the books and the films has been like very intertwined. So before, I mean, there were so many times where I'd be like, "Yeah, that's in the book, right?" And then I'd be like, "Oh shit!" I would like forget just because they become so like enmeshed in my brain. Um, but, you know, just in terms of thinking about them, like how, you know, like as I've gotten older, I really feel like there are, they each hold their own magic, if, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. But Annex, yeah, what were you going to say? Two very different things. Yeah. Um, I think the magic, I, the magic is hard to pinpoint for me mm -hmm. exactly, but I remember that the first time I watched the films, the moment I got sucked in was the uh, the entire like sort of Minds of Moria sequence. Mm. And I know that's true for a lot of people where because up until then, it's sort of like it's just like cutesy, like Shire Village. It's like, oh, this is England. Sure. Um, <laughs> and then they get chased by some people and it's like, oh, this is weird and scary. But because um, I think the other thing that influenced my opinion of the film, the early parts of the film is that I had read this other series um, called uh, The Belgariad, right? It's by an author called David Eddings from the 80s. Um, it hasn't aged well, I'll admit, and I'm not a big fan of it these days. But um, as like a when, you know, as a 12-year-old, 13-year-old kid, I went from The Hobbit to hating Lord of the Rings to reading The Belgariad and being like, oh, this is my fantasy series. Mm. Um, but it's a very clear ripoff of Lord of the Rings, mm. especially the beginning, you know, of this like taken on this adventure, being chased in the dark by some like shadow creatures and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, so when I watched Lord of the Rings, I was like, yeah, this is Belgariad. This is the beginning is what the, is the stories I'm used to. And then Minds of Moria happened is when, and then that's when everything changes mm -hmm. and you just realize, oh, this is so cool. This is insane. Um, 
So the Mount Amore sequence is the film, the film's what got me um, mm. hooked into it. But I think the magic of Lord of the Rings is that, um, I, and I don't know how Peter Jackson did it. Uh, maybe it's like the attention to detail or like the look of the costumes or the way he filmed it or like the rugged feel of the films. Mm-hmm. But whatever it is, Middle Earth feels like a real place. Mm-hmm. Like the Shire feels like a real place. Aragorn feels like a real person in Middle Earth. Like the elves feel like these otherworldly beings in Middle Earth. We don't see much dwarves, but like, you know, um, when we do see the dwarves at like the Council of Elrond or like Durin, they, no, not Durin, Gimli. Mm-hmm. I have rings of power in my head. I know. We're... So, yeah, <laughs> it's getting mixed up. Um, when, when we see Gimli, um, when we see Aragorn, when we see the Rangers, when we see like the hobbits and everyone in the world, it feels like real people in a real world. It doesn't feel mm-hmm. like a fantasy thing that like we're imagining, you know. Um, yeah. And I think that's the magic of it. The fact that um, it starts out as this like cute story and it's like it's sort of and it slowly builds momentum. Um, and as it builds momentum, it just drags you into it. Mm-hmm. This is true of the books as well. The way Peter Jackson filmed it, it like it grabs, it slowly gets you in. So that by the time like Sam is carrying Frodo up Mount Doom, you're fully invested. Yep. You know, like as much as like, anyone who said they don't care about these films, if you watch up to that moment, you're fully invested. Oh, 100%. And like people cry for very good reason. That that's mm-hmm. So I think it's it's that. It's that the momentum slowly building and just that realism of the world slowly dragging you into the story. Yeah. Uh, it's incredible. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Just the way... Um you know his vision of middle earth was able to not only capture so many people's imaginations but it had this kind of like like i know there were things that he did that weren't everybody's um you know it wasn't bringing every single person's imagination to life because how could you but there is something like the vibes are correct do you know what i mean and mm-hmm. i don't and i don't know yeah. how you like <laughs> measure that or how that is even accomplished but it feels very on point to me you know just like mm-hmm. but i think that that's a combination of so many things like there there is like the loving detail of everybody from you know weta and you know the costume design and and also the way that the chemistry between the actors and you know their clear commitment to telling this story you know obviously via pj's and team's lens but i think their chemistry with each other and you know you fully believe like there's things like with mary and pippin like they're kind of like thrown into this even more than anyone else there's not really a lot of like build up between like frodo and sam with them as like friends but you just believe that they are friends you know and i think that that's Mm -hmm. like a huge part of their ability as actors you know and then i mean obviously bow down to like sean astin and ian mckellen like a hundred times i like they just capture their characters so so beautifully and as well as like vigo i mean it's like could you have picked better people you know like everybody i felt like had, had the right mindset for these movies and you completely fall in love with them and believe everything that's going on you know like you are swept away by these movies and another thing that i think is a big part of that is the score you know like 100 it's yeah i mean it's i mean that is the middle earth sound in a lot of ways and just like the way it is able to not only kind of like 
take you along on the journey, um, like, immer- in an immersive way, but also, like, emotionally and and everything else, you know? the It's, um, it's a, I think it's a huge part of why those movies, like, are so dear to people because of the way that all of that just came together in such a beautiful way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, the music I think really the... brings the feelings, holy moly, <laughs> in yeah. all the right places. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, even still when that shy music plays, you just feel yeah. comfortable. You feel, you feel happy. Yeah. You know, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. It's crazy. I think also the fact, the way the, when you said about like the actors, the casting was perfect. And I think that's the other thing that sort of, brings you into middle earth is that every single person is committed to like being their character there's no sense of like i'm an elf in a fantasy movie like mm-hmm. gladual is like you know gladual kate blanchett is just galadriel yeah you know yeah there's um, nothing like, about their performance that like takes you out of it you know what i mean like mm-hmm. they i think yeah. that that is maybe one of the the highlights of of peter's script is that i don't think there's while there are things that are different from the books, clearly, and, you know, changes and decisions were made, but nothing about that script really feels off. You know what I mean? Like, there are, like, there are parts, um, like, I'll talk about this in a little bit, but, like, Aragorn's speech at the Black Gate, nowhere to be found in the book, but it feels very Tolkien. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many things like that, where it's like they, you know, Philippa and Fran and Peter, like they all figured this out, this behemoth out, and like really, um, you know, were able to zero in on some really key aspects of what make Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings. And so Mm -hmm. we, you know, I think that's one of the things that really makes these movies a master class in adaptation. I think I have to be constantly reminded that Aragorn's speech isn't in the book yeah. because it to me it's just so iconic that i'm like of course Tolkien wrote it yeah it's of course yeah so of course everyone says that before they charge but like no it's not in the book not there it's at a, all the other one being um a wizard is never late mm-hmm. that's not a token that's a that's a peter jackson team line yeah but so iconic. and it's like it's i mean so where, who perfect. would we be without all these orc lines to quote <laughs> the quotability <laughs> of these movies is yeah, yeah i mean <laughs> It's amazing, and I and, and I the think questions that, they raise. Yeah, you know where is the where is the orc restaurants? What where, where, where is it? What is their menu? <laughs> the orc restaurants. Yeah, what other meats are on the menu? Yeah, I mean, Gotta probably be, not good ones. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Some wolves are in there. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just Some... the. I mean, yeah. It. Uh, I know that in the appendices of the movies, they talk about how it's like the biggest whole movie like ever made you know but i think that that is really more talking about how much love and they put that they had for each other like as a crew and cast members but also like how much they were excited to tell this story and bring it to life in a way that had never been done before um mm-hmm. and not sure if anyone would will do it again in a while um Rings of Power is trying. We'll see. Yeah. Well, Rings of Power, though, is dealing with, like, second age stuff. So it's not even, you know, it's, uh, mm-hmm. they get a lot more room to play, I would say, than Peter mm-hmm. even did. Yeah. 
but they also don't have that sort of support of yes the clear written story which yeah so it's the positive and the negative yeah absolutely i I think there is a say again i mean but no i was just gonna say that but the idea of like another lord of the rings movie Mm -hmm. isn't on the horizon for several decades or at least i hope so i I, yeah i wouldn't think so um i think that's why Mm -hmm. we're getting things like rings of power and war of the rohirrim it's like the pre lord of the rings stuff um Mm -hmm. but you know still obviously set in that world and i'm very excited for all of it but there is something so so perfect about the way these movies came together and like of course if you've been listening to this podcast for a while like you know that there are things that i'm like eh. like i was particularly meh when we were going through two towers but um you know mm-hmm. when i was really thinking about today i was like you know what you know it's all fine because we get these like amazing cinematic moments that like i i you know i would trade so like if we want to switch now to the our favorite moments from the movies and just how they you know changes they made or ways they adapted certain moments that just worked like chef's kiss kind of moments um i have a list and we can like talk about mine but if you guys have of course like jump in or if this makes you think of anything please tell me <laughs> okay because i'm looking at my notes and i'm like a little like i have a list like, i don't know <laughs> we're not gonna get through this and so yeah let's uh we'll see we'll see how many can them. we can't talk about all of them yeah so what i did because i was like okay when i was um for like transparency's sake i so i thought about going back and looking through all of my notes from every episode and like trying to pinpoint like oh yeah that was brilliant but what i did instead was i really just like sat with it for a few days and was thinking about like when i'm just thinking about it you know this experience of this podcast as a whole and what moments are standing out to me right now you know so so this is my list for for reference um the first i kind of just went movie by movie so the first being um, the duel between Saruman and Gandalf, um, and just pretty much all of the Orthanc stuff, um, and especially the iconic addition of the moth with the, you know, the loss of Radagast required some mechanism to get that eagle to Gandalf. Mm-hmm. And I, I, the moth is like completely out of left field, but I love it obsessed it's the cutest moth on the planet um the best moth ever (laughs) and and just like any scene with christopher lee and ian mckellen is everything you know and so to have the two of them together i thought that was epic and you know they don't really talk they don't really have like a fight like that but i thought it was it works so well and it's so fun to watch and it's just like seeing them you know being wizardy i don't know it's just one it's one of the best scenes and like sequences from fellowship of the ring for me i don't yeah, know what i think uh i think the moth thing is iconic either i'm not i love the conversation they have before i'm not as big a fan of the fight because i think fellowship is especially the movie where like some direction stuff and some like mm-hmm. filmmaking things feel a bit more sort of, I don't know if hokey is the right word, not mm. as 
high quality as 2000 when Time of the King. Um, and so I'm not as big a fan of the fight because and also, but it's also a problem with Tolkien that Tolkien's magic is hard to put on screen. Yeah. Because it's not so much like player magic. Right. But the moth thing I think is, is brilliant. Um, I think it's, and it's so iconic. It has now become like the Gandalf thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, Gandalf talks to a moth. Yeah. Which do- just doesn't happen. But it yeah, doesn't. it's now the Gandalf thing. It doesn't, yeah. but I, he can and he will. Like, yeah. I love it. Gandalf is just friends with all the moths. It's just a thing. Now. Yeah. Yeah, and it's yeah. And in my brain, I have a spinoff series of Gandalf and the Moth, and they go on adventures. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Just me and my mom, and he's gotta like protect yeah. him from birds. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know what they would do, but that's I, I haven't gone farther than that. But that's it's adorable. Concept, so yeah. someone can pick that up if they'd like. Mm-hmm. I'll we can it. workshop it. That's fine. Yeah. Gandalf and the Moth. A hundred percent. It's so cute. Uh, I mean, it's just. I mean, and, like, the moth has its own, like, like the song comes in. It's just, like, a beautiful sequence. Um, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Even the moth has a soundtrack. Yeah. And, <laughs> and just, like, the that it's such an iconic moment when he's, like, because he's being sassy to Saruman, you know, like, there's only one bolt of the ring. And he, you know what I mean? And then he, and then he pieces out. It's so cool. Yeah. It's so good. It's so dramatic. Very I just and I love Christopher Lee as Saruman. Like any time that he is saying words, I'm like, "You're perfect. You're perfect," and I love you. And so is Ian. Ian is perfect as well. Mm-hmm. Um, which also makes me think of like one of my favorite scenes in the book is when Gandalf is explaining the importance of Gollum to the story, and but it's in Bag End. But I love that they kind of transition that into the scene in Moria with Gandalf and Frodo that he's able and it's like they get a glimpse of Gollum a little bit. And so I mean, it's it just like the way they're able to weave that in. And I feel like that moment is so poignant because of it. You know, you know, all we have to do is, deci- you know, decide what to do with the time that is given to us line um, and like the stuff about pity and mercy with Bilbo. I'm I'm so I mean they have I'm so glad they included it. I mean I kind of wish they had done more with it in Two Towers, but I was so glad that because of everything that happened in the Shire was like pretty, you know, it was like boom, Sauron's coming from the ring, boom, you got to get out of the Shire. You know, that was sped up and had to be cut so much, but I'm glad that they were able to include it there in Moria. And it's such a I mean, there's so many magical things about Moria because it's like, it feels like such a strange place, but Gandalf is also able to highlight its beauty while also being very cautious, you know? Um, I think it's just like a, a beautiful part of the movie and I and I love that, that conversation with Gandalf and Frodo. And so I, I love that we get to see, you know, Ian and Elijah bring it to life mm-hmm. on the screen. And I, I think you can see how iconic the whole like Moria is for people because um, just the fact that we see glimpses of it's like like high like quality it's excellence it's mm-hmm. you know um, how great it was in its peak um, you because you, we yeah. get glimpses of it people were so excited to see Casa Doom in Rings of Power because it's like we get to see Moria when it was like at its best yeah um, and I think the film set that up so well of this is what this this is glimpses of what this place used to be. Um, and then so that when the prequel comes out, people are so excited to see it. Yeah, I mean, they do such a great job of, like, creating a place that feels ancient, 
you know, even though they just, you knew they had to like build that themselves. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's something that I think that Peter Jackson's movie does well is like how they handle like the ruins that we see and like the ancient architecture and that kind of thing. Um, I think the bigotures were also a big part of that because there was a lot of like actual creating of stuff. Um, It's just, it's just, I mean, like, my husband is always just like, bring back bigotures. I mean, it's just such an interesting <laughs> way of um, showing the lived in part of the story. And it, it really pays off, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, one thing that was a big change that the dude bros on the internet in 2001 weren't a fan of was including more Arwen. But I think that was like a pivotal part of, you know, not only telling Aragorn's story, but like make giving this story more life on the screen. And mm-hmm. and that was Arwen's inclusion in, you know, throughout the whole series. But I love that they introduced her with, you know, like taking, sorry, Glorfindel, but I love that it's Arwen. I love it. It's, uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's so great. And, you know, the way that, we were able to include her more. Um, so it was so important for all the little girls like me. And so I'm, I love that like with rings of power, they're, they're bringing, they're taking it up a notch. We have so many more women characters. We have so many more people. We have actual people of color who were, that didn't exist before. Um, and so I, I think that this is um, stuff like this. It's, it's always going to be good for not only the storytelling, but the, the fandom as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, I've gotten in trouble for saying this before, um, especially from New Better. Oh my uh, gosh. But I I think Glorfindel in Lord of the Rings is overrated. Yeah. Um, but I specified that in Lord of the Rings, he is overrated. Yeah. Because he doesn't act... Like, he rescues Frodo. Um, and then he... And then Frodo sort of gets back to Rivendell. And then Glorfindel has some terrible ideas of what to do with the ring. Yeah. And that's about it. That's That's it. So I think one of the best decisions that Peter Jackson did, yeah, in Fellowship, was changing, getting rid of him, changing it to Arwen, uh, because Arwen is so important for the rest of the story. Mm -hmm. And, like, if you're not a Tolkien nerd who hasn't read the Silmarillion and all the extended stories of to figure out who Glorfindel is, then, like, he's just an elf who shows up and then never shows up in the story again. Yeah. So he's very, very relevant to Lord of the Rings. So I think it was a great decision to make Arwen the one who shows up, and Arwen saves Frodo. Um, I mean, the kind of linking Arwen's life to the life of the ring is a bit weird. I don't Yeah, not so much that stuff, but having yeah. her, like, because she is so key to, like, what Aragorn is doing. So it's it would be weird, I think, if they had left it as is in the book. Like, there's just, like, like very tiny references to him thinking about her. But it's like, no, just, like, show them together and, like, show mm-hmm. why she's so great. And I think that they do that. I mean, obviously, they make some some changes that it's, like, whatever. But overall, I think that her inclusion was perfect. Yeah. And I think in the books, you don't really get a sense of how close Aragorn and Alvin are and how important they are to each other until you read the appendices and exactly. you read like Aragorn and Arwen and you, th- and you get their origin story and that's when you realize how wonderful their romance is. But yeah, and I love that Peter Jackson sort of peppered that in throughout. Yeah. Um, like it made, the, made us like keep remembering who Aragorn is doing this for. Yeah. Um, and what he's like leaving behind and what he's got at home. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I just realized that what I do on podcasts is I nod, I'm over here nodding vigorously, but you can't hear that. Um, so We're um, to, listeners, to, <laughs> to listeners, if it sounds like Callie Cosplay is not engaged in this conversation, please just picture me over here nodding vigorously in agreement and, and not having any disagreements whatsoever yeah. with what Andy is saying because it's perfect. <laughs> Andy, you should just have a sound effect to go off every time Callie's nodding so people know that yeah. she's nodding. Where jingly earrings yeah. or something so when you hear ching 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 like oh Callie's nodding yeah we're like ah oh, yeah no I gotta work on that <laughs> but Callie but you no, were everything you said was perfect it, it, yeah she, she, her inclusion was absolutely important and and a very um a huge moment for you know women and young girls and who want female role models and the cosplay community went uh, absolutely insane over it and we have a whole sword that wasn't that was just made for yeah. the movies but is my favorite sword it's beautiful um, it's so beautiful um but all of that stuff is just so iconic now that you can easily forget that it's it wasn't originally there yeah mm-hmm. absolutely. it's almost jarring when glofendel shows up in the book I know. I'm like, who's that guy? And he's just like, wait, who, who's this dude? Who's yeah. that? Oh, wait, no, that's, that's a movie film. Never mind, never mind. He's and a I love very that, like, this isn't in the the movie, but it just makes me think about how she is the one, she, like, offers him her place on the last, on, like, the ship to Valinor at, at the end of Return of the King, and she, she actually gives uh, Frodo the Evan Star and yeah you know that i don't i don't know if it's referred to as the even star even in the in the books no it's, i think it's like he calls gem. it a white gem but that's a white gem what it that is. she wore um or yeah but yeah no you're totally right um but that that even star is so synonymous now with lord of the rings it's on every design yeah and, and i have the necklace for sure yeah totally <laughs> so. i mean that was one of the like the first like big presents that josh gave me when we were teenagers (laughs) i think it's in my senior picture that i was wearing it um but it just makes me think about how like she is important not only to aragorn's story but to frodo's as well and so i love that they the first thing that she does isn't like oh honey i'm so glad to see you she's like i gotta get this hobbit to rivendell you know what i mean like it's it's not about the two of them when she first shows up they tie her story to frodo's at the very beginning and i i love that yeah you're right they do and it's that line isn't it that if there's any grace that's granted to me mm-hmm. um something along the lines of like help keep him alive with yeah that. like may it pass and it's sort of a him. reference to yeah yeah and it's sort of a reference to her giving her seat yeah to and- frodo Mm-hmm. I think sense. there's there's so many subtle things that they do where I'm like, you know, they were paying attention, but it's mm-hmm. they're just these little nods, you know, and um, and I, so I I love that for Arwen as well, and just I mean, who would we be without Liv Tyler? <laughs> That's the Iconic. question. Iconic. Yes. Just obsessed immediately. Mm-hmm. You know, as soon as she shows up, it's like, whoa. That's enough. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and so those are like my big things from Fellowship of the Ring that just like have really stood out to me as far as 
you know, changes or switches around or just performances that they did that really, because there's so many parts of fellowship that feel that it's like, it's like, yeah, that's, that's the book in a lot of ways. Oh, I will say that the, the way that they do the end of fellowship is also a tweak from the way not only fellowship ends, but the beginning of two towers starts. I mean, I think that the, that whole scene between Aragorn and Boromir is beautiful. And I think it's, it's, better than what is actually written um you know my yeah. brother my captain my king oh like mm-hmm. <laughs> oh just stab me right in the heart and twist it everything so about good. that so good yes yeah i think it's interesting that like yeah tolkien was just writing one book so he didn't really have like oh we'll end it with Boromir's death because mm-hmm. that's that would be impactful it was just like yeah we'll frodo will leave and then Boromir will die at the beginning of the next book whatever yeah um but then, yeah, it was a really good decision to move that to the end of the first film. Uh, so you get a conclusion, sort of Frodo leaving, and the whole point. And you, and it just makes you think about. Because it would about, have been a weird choice. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like it's still the same moment in the timeline, you know. So it they should mm-hmm. be together. Um, and I just think that, like, I mean, the Frodo and Sam part is beautifully done. You know, the, I mean, Sam. Sean Aston as Sam in that moment is just I mean, that's probably one of the big tear jerkers um, there and and as well as the way that visually they they tell that story you know with Aragorn taking Boromir's bracers um, and you know like that's not anything stipulated in the book that's not it's just mm-hmm. a nod to it just shows like how much they have taken on these characters and how much they you know showing that um love and respect for each other on screen and how that the translation is different and it but it's it's equally beautiful yeah it's it's yes those visual cues because tolkien doesn't necessarily write that aragon took the braces and put it on but aragon would totally do that yeah i mean it just like have that physical reminder of boromir along the rest of this Mm -hmm. journey now uh remind me when Frodo is leaving and Sam runs after him, does Sam nearly drowning happen in the book? Because yeah. I can't quite remember. Yeah. That the happens, the right? difference is that Frodo is a little bit so meaner Sam... to Sam after he grabs him. Yeah. He also doesn't grab him by the hand. He grabs mm-hmm. him by the hair. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but he's also kind of like, that's Sam, okay. you're yeah. hindering me. Like, I got to go. And Sam is like, yeah, obviously. And I'm also going. Yeah. But, but I'm going with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I love the I love this the the visual, whatever it's called, mm-hmm. of um Frodo grabbing Sam's hand. Yeah. Mirrored by the end of Turn of the King when Sam oh. grabs Frodo's hand. Like that's beautiful. Oh that, so that good. visual like image symmetry is beautiful. Yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah. And, and it is one of those it's one of my favorite underrated shots is the underwater sort of hand. I love it. It's brilliant. 100%. I think that, I mean, it's such a beautiful ending to that movie. Um, and it ends, it's like sad because of the the breaking of the fellowship, but then we also have these moments of hope, which, you know, Sam's lines are pretty much the same, you know, where he's like, well, like the one, you know, like we're, we're going off to Mordor, you know, it's crazy. But then like the whole let's hunt some orc thing like that's not in there but it's like 
what i mean that moment is so good with like yes you know and then they run off to get and they're all they're going off on their separate journeys um it's it's just beautifully done in my opinion yeah and i think part of the reason they could do that is because they knew they were getting all three films mm-hmm. so they were just like yeah we can end this on a cliffhanger of what are they going to do next because we're already filmed like we've already filmed half of the second one yeah and most of the third one so we can just we can just do this yeah and people know there's a film coming out next year. Yeah, I mean, what a... I mean, it would be... It would have been tragic if they hadn't agreed to the three-film deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, like, Peter had um, tried to pitch it as two films. And, uh, what is it, New Line? That they were the ones that were like, no, this is three. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. good, you know, good on those executives. Before. Maybe not always, but in this case, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, I don't know what y'all's favorite moments are from Two Towers, but um, I was doing a lot of thinking about this. Two Towers was the one I struggled with the most, truly, when we were doing, like, the direct comparison, like, every week. Um, but I think, for me the the two big things are it's like the final charge at helm's deep you know with the first light of the fifth day like aragorn is not given a time and date when Gandalf is supposed Mm -hmm. to show up but the way that it's done is so beautiful it's like so epic but also very hopeful and i love that i think seeing the ents take down isengard rather than like because in the book, it's really, like, told off, you know, like, secondhand from Mary and Pippin. Um, I love the way that they, you know, visualized not only the Ents, but the way that they fought the orcs and everything. I thought that was really well done. Um, and then the, the bigger, another big thing for me, and this is probably, you know what, I might not have said this a few weeks ago. A few months ago um but after talking with lauren about you know kind of like the big moments and then it, I'm, I'm gonna say sam's speech in osgiliath is a big deal um and uh there are so many things that i hate about osgiliath but i will let them have it if that means that we have this beautiful speech from from sam mm-hmm. yeah i i don't necessarily um, and this is this gets me in trouble with the Faramir fans. <laughs> I don't necessarily mind Osgiliath because I think it's. I don't think it really cheapens Faramir because you do still get an arc for him and you do still see how great he is in Return of the King. Yeah, I think the thing that He's bothers me not, yeah. the most about. Like, I've gone back and forth. Well, not really. I mean, in my brain, not out loud, but about this for a while. <laughs> but um, I think... Thing... I think that basically summarizes all of us. Yeah. Uh, we've thought about this way too much. Not out loud, just in our brains. <laughs> yeah. Because I think when we yeah. were doing this in that episode, however many weeks back, I think there was in like June or something. Um, actually, don't know when I released it. Don't quote me on that. But... When we were talking about it, I was like, oh, like, why were they in Esquiliath? They shouldn't have been there. That, like, totally throws off the timeline. They wouldn't have had time to get there. Um, and, I, and I have, you know, elaborated on how I would have done it differently. But at the same time, 
if Sam isn't saying that's like, I want Sam to say that speech. I love that speech, the way that they put it together. Like it clearly references some, uh, some actual Sam lines and uses some Sam lines, but then they weave in some other beautiful stuff of their own. Um, and, but if he's not saying, he has to say that in like a situation where things are shitty and mm -hmm. most of the time when they're an Othelian, things are pretty okay in the book. So I think the thing that really bothers me about that is the Nazgul being right fucking there. And like, they should have like, there's it doesn't make sense to me that they wouldn't have just scooped up frodo but that's a good either point. case yeah. yeah that's a that's a fair point that frodo literally gets the ring out jensen <laughs> from the nazgul is about to put it on when sam tackles him it was like no well then nazgul is going to remember that that specific halfling in osgiliath has the ring yes they're I'm like it's, what? <laughs> it's it's a big big hole in the narrative of then why didn't they just take it yeah. Why didn't he just then keep hunting Frodo? Because yeah. the Nazgul now just knows where the ring is. Yeah. 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 It's, it's if you point, take, if you just make that scene about the orcs attacking the men of Osgiliath, then you take out the Nazgul, and it's still like stressful and crazy. I think you could still have the Sam speech, you know. But um, I, I will. I'll. I'm. I'm gonna pinpoint my issue with that scene now, like Faramir stuff aside to the Nazgul bit. But I think that the setting is important for Sam to be saying a speech like that, but it, it weaves all of the storylines together so beautifully. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to take that away. And so I think that means that you have to like accept a few other decisions that were made mm -hmm. in order to have that scene. And I think as much as I'd like Faramir saying like, I wouldn't pick it up on the side of the road, mm -hmm. but, you know, talking about the ring, how he would never take it. Mm -hmm. um, I like the fact that he, it, it wasn't so simple for him, right? And I think it's a great, great contrast to Boromir, mm -hmm. um, Boromir's reaction to the ring. True. Because if Faramir would never accept the ring, then he's basically just doing what Aragorn does. So like, yeah. Yeah, I, I wouldn't take the ring. Uh, but the fact that Faramir goes almost sort of, and the Faramir doesn't try to take the ring, even, even in the films, he doesn't take the ring because he wants it. Mm -hmm. He takes the ring because he wants to impress his father. Yeah. And he's like, I'm taking, he's not, it's like, and he's not saying I'm taking the ring for myself to defend a, a minister that's like, or Gondor. I'm taking the ring to Gondor. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think there is still a sense of Faramir could resist the ring. Faramir didn't want the ring. Faramir wanted to give the ring to his father. Yeah. And I think that's the sense you get from it. So Faramir is like sort of great quality and him as a great sort of noble person with Numenorean blood and sort of that mm -hmm. wisdom is still sort of maintained. It's just that he doesn't outright just let them go. Yeah, I was thinking about that too. And I, you know, I'll, I think that I'll, I will forgive that because he does get back on track by like, the, not just the end of the movie, but like everything he does in Return of the King is very Faramir. So it's like, mm -hmm fine have your little moment but but he gets back on track so i think it's uh forgivable in a sense i can't believe i'm saying this who am i who am i <laughs> you're a maturing person thing. oh my goodness <laughs> Peter jackson has destroyed faramir you're you're a you're a faramir you're a peter jackson shill yeah andy that's what i'll that's take what it are. yeah <laughs> Yes. If only there was money associated. Do you know how big this really? I know. 
I would be the worst. I would take it, but no one's offering. I know. Like, oh, I'm like, you don't know how bad I would be if there was actual money behind this. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. yeah. I would never shut up. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is how positive we are without the money. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we would be unstoppable. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> just unhinged. I would be the best. Uh, I would be the best uh, advertiser for Rings of Power and Lord of the Rings if they paid me for it. Yeah. But no. I know. But no. So two towers. They're, they're not doing yeah. it like that. Yeah. Is there any other? So those are my things from two towers, really, or that stood out to me because there are some things where I'm like, meh. But um, as far as like adaptation decisions that they made, but those were the ones that I was like, yes, okay, that's yeah. that's good. Um, I did I did like seeing the ends attacking. Um, all think mm-hmm. I think that was a really great to show that in two towers because I think. We sort of learned that story in Return of the Kingdom. We um, we learn it. If I remember, it's like at the end of Two Towers. I forget where the books end. Yeah, at the it, end of the yeah, okay. So in Two it's Towers, we go all the way to you know we see the whole uh, interaction. Oh, he's with setting Isengard. off the Minas Tirith. Is that yeah. where it ends? So it ends with uh, hold on, let me. So with the story, their storyline, it ends with the voice of Saruman. So they, they have that last conversation with him mm-hmm. at, at Isengard. Oh, okay. And then in Return of the King, they set off on Minas Tirith. Okay, yeah, sure. so they, so, they stick that at yeah. the beginning of Return of the King instead. Great. So, um, yeah, I like that we see that. I like that we actually see it in the film. I, I don't, I think, I understand why they changed the decision, but I kind of still don't love the fact that it... The fact that Peter Jackson wanted to emphasize how important Merry and Pippin coming to Fangorn was, mm-hmm. and how they're coming, they they were the people who kickstarted this. Yeah, um, Attack of the Ends, the my last march of the Ends. But I think in in that in doing so, he sort of downgraded or made Treebeard um, look not as not as competent. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you know, like Merry had to Merry or Pippin, I forget which one of them. The, the but, Pippin going but, south thing. Yeah, going south and had to like convince him and like show him. Whereas like Treebeard should have known that. Yeah. And one exactly. of my favorite moments in the book is I love the moment in the book when Treebeard sort of starts talking about Saruman and then starts telling some history and then he sort of builds up and he gets angrier and angrier and angrier and he gets furious and he's like he sort of works himself to an up to an anger and he goes, Okay, now we gotta do something about this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's that's one it, thing it, yeah. that I would have that's why I didn't really include like because I do love Merry and Pippin in both the books and the movies, but the thing with Treebeard is that he knows that something is up and it's not until Merry and Pippin make him realize like the extent of the problem. Not so much that there just is a problem. Um and so he is very quick to bring all those ends together and he explains in the book how you know, it's not so much that they are taking a long time to t- make a decision per se, but they go through, it's like a court case. Like they go through all the facts, they lay out all the things so that when they- <laughs> The end moot in the chapters is so hilarious and I'm so glad they didn't put all that in the movie. Oh, <laughs> it would have been there forever. <laughs> we lost Quick Beam. I, I wanted to see Quick Beam. Where's Quick yeah, Beam in the book? I do in the like films? Quick Beam. Yeah. Where's the hasty end? Yeah. Is he the one throwing the rock, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's the, he's the yeah. Yeah. Is he supposed to be like a birch tree? 
I can't remember. I remember that. Or Rowan. I, that level of detail, I don't remember. Yeah, I don't but, either. Yeah. But yeah, I do. I do like Quick Beam. They, he was kind of like their their mind because he like the point was that Quick Beam had already made up his decision and didn't need to stay mm-hmm. at the Ant Moot. Um, but yeah. with the rest of the Ant Moot, it was really them laying out the full problem and then they immediately were like okay we're going to war it wasn't like they Mm. needed to be convinced per se but they all wanted to be on the same page i think is really Mm. what that was about um yeah but the hobbits didn't know anything what was going on because they don't speak entish so um and i think that i understand the decision because you need to give mary and pippin like your hero characters some like actual significant influence on the plot they mm-hmm. can't just be you know, bystanders who kind of watch it happen mm-hmm. but in i don't think because i think it's so subtle in the books what mary and pippin does with the ends is so subtle right and like the way gandalf describes it of it's like they're the pebble that started the avalanche mm-hmm. so they don't necessarily sort of force it to happen they just they're coming and their few words to treebeard sort of kickstarted the whole thing and then afterwards they sort of just sit back and they just let it happen yeah, because they're two hobbits. What are they going to do? Attack or think? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think Peter Jackson just wanted to make it more obvious, and I kind of I get it. But I think in a, in a way, it sort of lessened the impact and like the yeah. wisdom of Treebeard. Yeah, there's things like that that are. I mean, that's, like I get why they did it, but yeah, I agree with that 100. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, my favorite adaptation change um, of that, which isn't in the book. It's just that one end who gets lit on fire and then oh just burns his head on the water. It's the best moment of two. I mean, it, I, yeah. the vis- the way that they display that fight is so cool because you see the orcs really like trying to think about how you take down a tree, more or less, but it's a tree mm-hmm. that's fighting back. So they've got the fire, they're, they're hacking <laughs> at them with axes. Um, mm-hmm. But then the the way the ants just kind of move through that and like, the release the river! I mean... Yeah. <laughs> why, why would you not want that you need it's that brilliant. it's brilliant yeah. and it's beautifully done too um, and the music um, again uh, perfect 100 percent. i just i love the idea of an orc um an or an orc like fighting an end but like they used to sort of just like pulling trees down but they, in this case they pull a tree down and the tree gets back up yeah <laughs> and like yeah. how confused they would be by that and i love that yeah it's it's so yeah. cool and I and it's like, of course, there are. I mean, there because there are things that you could do differently, right? Because since in the book version, there's a lot of like tell not show, um, and that was one of them really. But the way that they are able to weave all the storylines together with that moment, because then you know, with the wa- you know, the like the washing away of whatever at Isengard and like the things happening at helms deep with you know sam's speech over all of it i mean it's ah, it's a good one it's a good it's a good ending i will also say that the beginning of two towers is a very cool way to open that movie showing the end of oh yeah yeah, going Mm -hmm. down 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 kind of thing Mm -hmm. although it has um i realized when i made a video about that opening that it confused a lot of people really people um because it, it's something it's that people boring. have never really voiced mm. off. Um, people have never really voiced it, but they, they're always like, oh, I just assumed that Gandalf fell so far that he fell on top of a mountain. And I'm like, not exactly, no. Oh, <laughs> he okay. fell, 
and then went and then had a fight and, and then, then like, went face. up some steps and ended up at the top of a mountain. So like the mountain isn't inside the earth. Yeah. The mountain is outside. Mm-hmm. But the films don't really make because the films show him falling. Um, and right. then the next shot is the fight on the mountain. Right. I mean, later Gandalf tries to explain it about how, like, from the, mm-hmm. you know, lowest dungeon to the highest peak kind of thing. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But I guess the disconnect, I mean, they, that doesn't happen at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. And then, but then, yeah, it's, a, it's the, I mean, even, even if you take that, even, so if you watch that opening and your preconceived notion is, oh, they fell so deep that they fell to a top of a mountain inside Middle Earth. And then when Gandalf says, from the deepest dungeon to the tallest peaks, you're like, yeah, from the deepest dungeon you fell, and then you ended up at the top of a peak when you fell. So Interesting. when I explained it, it, it was my one of my biggest videos, because people were like, oh, oh, I get it. That's I what happened. I have no clue. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> this is why we're also doing this, because I, I would hope to inspire some more people to reread or read the books for the first time if they want to, mm-hmm. you know, learn or find out those things for themselves. Um, because there's there's so much there's so much that we didn't even get to but we tried to keep it to the big points keep it to the big points mm-hmm. um, are there any other things from Two Towers because then the rest of my list is Return of the King Two Towers Kelly oh. yeah no I don't have any other major notes for I think I might be forgetting a little bit what uh, like they sort of bleed into each other oh almost. totally to me, like which what belonged to which movie, but mm-hmm. but I think two towers. I think we've I think I think we've yeah we've we've done that yeah. Mm-hmm. So my there's a few things. I mean, we we talked about Aragorn's speech a little bit earlier at the Black Gate, um, but another one of my favorite changes because there isn't like I wouldn't say that return of the king is too far off you know overall you know there's obviously differences and all of that but i am obsessed with the fact that they changed theoden's last words aren't to marry or amir they're to eowyn and i think that makes so much more sense it is better it is a better choice than what happens in the books and it's such a beautiful moment and also like the the way that they use like the callback to him coming out of the spell from saruman with i know your face he says that he's mm-hmm. eowyn's the first person he sees after that and eowyn is the last person he sees and he says that to her again it's just i mean it's beautiful and i'm so glad that they let eowyn have that moment with him mm-hmm. in the movies i think that's a change that w- makes sense for the movies because in the book um, there's a lot more of like the Thayde and Mary relationship and sort of the fatherly relationship and the bond that they form and sort of like, oh, tell me stories and like, you know, Mary's spending a lot more time with Thayde and we see in the book. Mm-hmm. So then when Thayde sees Mary at the end, it makes a lot of sense. And the fact that he doesn't see Eowyn is sort of a tragedy. Right. Um, but I think because we don't get so much of Mary and Thayde in the film. But we do get a lot of the sense of relationship between Theoden and Eowyn. It's just a really beautiful moment. Yeah. It's a great change. So yeah. well done. And when Eowyn then finds Eowyn's body. <gasps> that's a that's a moment. Visceral. I mean, just yeah. that. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't even like hear the scream per se, but the face that Carl Urban makes. Oh, you can feel it. It's you gutting. He acted the, the hell out of that oh. scene. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So good so so good um 
And then, you, I mean, it's like, there's so many things that just feel correct about Return of the King. I mean, Aragorn's speech is one thing. Like, we know it's not in the books, but it's like, it is a beautifully written speech. And so damn quotable. Like, I love it to pieces. Um, and then, really, like, the whole rest of that scene, like, with Frodo and Sam, I mean, it's it's done perfectly. I mean, even and not in terms of like getting every detail right or, or right, I'm putting that in air quotes because it's like it's very correct in terms of the film, you know, the the way that it's done. And again, going back to what you were saying, Annex, about like because Frodo doesn't topple over the side uh, inside of Mount Doom after mm-hmm. Gollum, and the, but mm-hmm. I think it is like visually stunning and crazy, you know, and harkens back to that moment in on the Anduin when he falls in when Sam falls into the river but this time it's Sam pulling Frodo you know out so it, mm-hmm. it's great it's perfect and great I, moment yeah and Aragorn's well, speech hands was kind of gross oh I mean yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was worried it's, that it's it, he was gonna miss like I still get worried mm-hmm. and I know what happens <laughs> that it's gonna be like slip and then it's like oh sorry Frodo <laughs> Like, they did not shy away from that shot at all. It's pretty much the only real blood that we have in those movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very, yeah. Sparing. But, yeah, I mean, Gollum biting his finger off is so visceral. Mm -hmm. That moment is so... But it's, yeah, there's so much heightened emotions in that scene. Although I do, I will say that I don't don't mind a lot of the changes that they made to Mm -hmm. Minister. There's not, like, characters they cut... But mm-hmm. one moment that I think people don't appreciate, people don't know as much, is that a lot of the stuff that happens in Minister Death, even like before the battle and after the battle, there's a lot of humor in it. Oh, yes. Um, like, I, I can't believe I can't remember her name. But Eoreth the one who suggests. Aerith, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, when she's telling the story and Gandalf is like, she's okay, we get it. Like, shut up. We get it. And then. And then Aerith comes back again when Aragorn's coming into the city and she just keeps yeah. getting referenced. I love that Hopefully part. keeps yeah. bringing her back. It's, he must have loved it yeah. too. I mean, because she's like, a, she's a healer, but she's also a gossip. And just like the way she's <laughs> like, oh yeah, so like, he's already been into the city. This is just a ceremony. But yeah, he healed all the, I mean, it's just like, she's just so silly. Yeah. <laughs> she's brilliant. I love her so much. I know. She's a hoot. She, mm-hmm. she's a it's, <laughs> it's one of those moments that like really fleshes out the city mm-hmm. um, like no, yeah. it tells you that there's more than just Aragorn and like Denethor who lived there yeah that you is know? one there's thing like that people I... who people living there yeah yeah um, that's something that I do love about the book version of Minas Tirith is with Pippin you get to kind of explore it with him and you see mm-hmm. not only Baragon but his son Burgil I might be missing it. Like, so. the little kid. Yeah. Uh, that sounds about mm-hmm. right. But, like, he sees them yeah. playing because they're, like, the last kids left in the city. Um, and, of course, like, in the movie, they don't have, like, it emptying. of Like, they keep the women and children in Minas Tirith mm-hmm. in the movie. Um, but, yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's very lived in. I always felt like that. There's parts of Return of the King where I'm like, this would be a funny sitcom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just, it's like, surprisingly if, funny. Yeah. yeah. Pippin wandering around or but then also very touching at so many points like when Pippin and Mary find each other you know and Mary thinks he's going to die 
Um, but Pippin's like, no. Um, I mean, they do a, a slight version of that. You. Yeah, it's very sweet. It's a very... Yeah, because yeah, Pippin finds him, doesn't he? Um, mm-hmm. Sort of wandering the streets. Yes, exactly. Uh, it's so cute. Um, I mean, they kept some of the lines. Of, well, yeah, when Pippin says, like, I'm not likely to grow any taller, mostly just sideways. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in the book, he says that to Burgle. Yeah. Um, not to Faramir. Yes. It's, it's a good line. Yeah, I, I love that when they, they do keep some of the humor. Things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and of course they... And, you know, another adaptation thing that I will say is Pippin singing and, you know, yes. gonna ignore Denethor eating, but... Pippin singing over that <laughs> scene you. is very. I mean, it's like obviously that the the song that they use is technically a walking song, and would definitely sound completely different, like in the book version, and which we see in Fellowship of the Ring. But I love that they take those words and turn it into something brand new, really, and it mm-hmm. it's it's a beautiful. Um, way to like incorporate some of like the hobbity stuff that is left out of the movies into mm-hmm. this yeah. scene. And the fact that like Pippin starts it by saying, I don't have any songs for great holes. Um, and then the fact that it isn't a song for great holes makes it hit so much harder, mm-hmm. makes that moment hit so much stronger because it's not really, yeah, it's not like a great ballad. Yeah. A great, you know, um, like song for an occasion like that. Mm hmm. And that contrast makes it hit so well. Yeah. Um, I, I do... Um, I, I, Denethor is a change that I sort of get because the film has so little time. You could have made four films. Yeah, um, easy. Because yeah. there is so much they had to cut. Um, but yeah, Denethor is a change where I'm like, he gets seven minutes of screen time. And within that, I think they did quite a lot with that character. I agree. A, a different take on him. And I, and I do like the take they did. Mm-hmm. Even if it's like less complex in a sense than the films, yeah, or less history than the sorry, less history than in the books. Yeah, but yeah. Take the hammer was pretty good. I do think it works, um, especially with the way that they're able to show with very little time show this relationship between Faramir and Denethor, um, mm-hmm. and how Faramir is always like he's trying to not only be the best man he can be, but he's trying to make his father proud and his dad just you know is too caught up to see it mm-hmm. and it yeah it's very it's very well done and they even give Faramir a little bit of Gandalf's lines um in that moment but it definitely works especially if you want so to think I wasn't about. sure if this was two towers or yeah return of the king but somewhere in that mush of my memory yeah um I feel like a discussion of the movies wouldn't be complete without talking about Smeagol Gollum. Mm. Of course, yes. Because, I mean, Gollum, everybody, if you say you like Lord of the Rings, there's a few, like, one of a few things will happen, and a lot of the, one of those things is that people will pull out their Gollum impressions for you. True. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. 100%. So, yeah. I mean, Iconic. Yes, absolutely. And... The whole scene where um, he's, does it count as talking to himself mm-hmm. if you're like dissociating Conversation. Anyway, everyone knows yeah. that conversation. I was so entranced by that. I, I, I don't know if anybody else was, but um, that for me was very interesting. Yeah. 
I, yeah. I struggle with f- figuring out which Gollum stuff is from the books and what's just in the films. Mm-hmm. Because everything that Andy Serkis does with Gollum is so iconic and so Gollum that you're just like, yeah, that's the, he, that, he did that in the book. Or, like, right. I, so I don't, I can't remember if that conversation is in the book. Well, which I think funny it is, is, right? Sam kind of sees it, doesn't he? Yeah, there's like, a, it's, a, it's a moment in the Dead Marshes in the book and it's, it's a little let it's not so much telling himself to go away it's more like you know he doesn't have a moment really where he wins over himself unless you want to consider the moment where he promises on the ring and like that's like his first moment where he starts acting like Smeagol but the moment Mm -hmm. in the dead marshes in the book where he has the conversation with himself is really where things start to go wrong it's where he's starting to think about feeding Sam and Frodo to Shelob. And Sam overhears this, but he kind of plays it cool uh, so that Gollum doesn't think that he's heard him. But they kind of take that scene and kind of mold it into different situations because they take some of those lines and they use it at the end of Two Towers. But then they take that idea of him talking to himself in the movies and show like a clear moment of him becoming or being Smeagol for a while. And then it isn't until... And I think, you know, speaking just within the movie, it, it makes a lot of sense insofar as helping the audience understand that like Gollum isn't always a bad guy and so they they kind of give him this clear moment where he wins over his golem side right and it's Smeagol for sure but then when you get the moment with Faramir not treating Gollum very well which also kind of hurts me because Faramir doesn't kick Gollum like but he does it in the movie and so this is where it is very violent yeah and so that is kind of where we lose or Gollum comes back and Smeagol kind of loses and so then later he kind of talks to himself again um at the end where he's you know that's when he's starting to plot about sheila but in the book he, he does that a lot sooner and also i mean how is the conversation about the trilogy com- complete without talking about legolas and gimli mm. yeah the elf the iconic elf dwarf friendship and i think um one of the changes that i'm that I think works in the film that I'm okay with is um, the elf, the the the, cow, the end of the count. Because mm. um, how many? Because they they kind of don't carry. Because in the book they don't carry it on into um, the Battle of Felinothos. It sort of ends at um, the at Helm's Deep, right? Mm-hmm. And in the book, uh, Gimli clearly wins. Um, I think oh, he wins yeah. by like two. Um, and but I I like that in the film it's sort of like. It's a 41, 42, and then they sort of have a bit of a banter about it. And it's a lot more of a lighthearted moment. Yeah. Um, yeah and I, I, and I, I really enjoy that. I, li- I like that back and forth in the films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's funny because you know that Legolas is so much older than Gimli, but it's still like the way that they... But I think that that's one of the things where you kind of have to accept with the... Um, the movies, right? Because the same way that Sean Astin is older than Elijah Wood, but they really made that difference work rather than Frodo being older than Sam. Um, you know, there's nothing they can really do about that. They're either like the same age or Sam is clearly like Sam is more like uh, fatherly, I think, to Frodo in the movie. And so the same way with that, mm-hmm. 
you get this uh, similar kind of thing where they're kind of ribbing each other and John Reese davies I think does a lovely job of like showing how Gimli cares about Legolas without like you know just but like acknowledging how they're different and I think the one of the ways that they're able to do that is because their ages are so different um even it kind of helps with that I think the audience understanding of like the the difference between like the elf and the the dwarf in in the in the case of the movie yeah and i think i mean legolas is a young elf Mm -hmm. comparatively speaking although legolas in the movie is significantly older than the book really Um, because uh, because um so i I've, i've read a lot of theories on this and my theory is that legolas is probably like just over a thousand years old Mm. but definitely not more than two thousand yeah yeah he's basically a baby he's a (laughs) he's a young third age elf totally Um, but legolas in the movie they say specifically he's like 2931 years old oh do they which i don't even remember it's uh i remember because people people keep quoting that number to me oh when i say yeah so because um because yeah and i think I, I don't know. I don't know if they did it on purpose, but two thousand nine hundred thirty-one is the year in the third age when Aragorn was born. Okay, um, that's Aragorn's wow. birth year, and they say that that's Legolas's birth. That's how old Legolas is, two thousand nine hundred thirty-one. But he cannot be that old mm-hmm. because um, because uh, Dol Guldur, mm-hmm. uh, the thing of the right one, yes, Dol Guldur, like in Mirkwood, wasn't built until well, wasn't built. It wasn't. Not that it wasn't built; it wasn't occupied by Sauron or the necromancer, necromancer right. until um, the year one thousand, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the clue that we get is that Legolas has never been to Lothlorien, and until that tower was right. occupied by Sauron, there was a lot of traffic between Mirkwood and Loth- so or Greenwood true. and Lothlorien. So, if Legolas has never been there, then he can't be more than two thousand years old. So Fact. he's most likely somewhere over a thousand yeah huh but the film sort of just say he's nearly three thousand years old which would make him which would mean that yeah he was born just after thranduil became king basically within that like 50 years after thranduil with like 50 years into the third age he was born which can't be the case at all no yeah but, yeah i guess i just but i mean yeah because gimli is supposed to be gimli is supposed to be an older dwarf right he's, yeah. he's in his like 150s, 130 Yeah, 100 and something. Yeah. Yeah, he's like a middle aged dwarf, mm-hmm. kind of. Yeah, so, and then Legolas think, hangs yeah, out with him until he's is... like, what, 250 or something? And then they go off together to the Undying Land. Yeah, and then they live together forever. In... Oh my god, it's so cute. I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care how their rules of aging work in Valinor, they live forever. Yeah. Now they Kimberly do. Gimli is immortal once he gets there. Yeah. I mean, I feel like Galadriel definitely pulled some strings, so like anything mm-hmm. goes at this point. Because yeah. Gimli's not yeah, even supposed just, to go. Yeah. <laughs> Speak to Aule, just make some stuff happen. Gimli lives forever. Yeah. We can do it. We can do it. I mean, at this point, it's it's our rules, baby. So yeah. <laughs> no one to correct us. Yeah. What's Tolkien going to do? Tell me that they're dead? Tell yeah. me that Legolas is alone in Valinor without Gimli? No. <laughs> nope. No, he cannot. Yeah, come tell me that. Go on, go on. <laughs> Where's it written? Where's it written? It's not written anywhere. Therefore, it did not happen. <laughs> true yeah yeah true so i don't know if you guys want to get into this but i do have a couple of things that i've decided i would have definitely done differently 
Um, do you want me to yeah. go through these? Okay. Yeah. Of course mm-hmm. we want to hear it. Okay. Okay. Um, so my first one is, so we find out in the books that Bilbo and Gandalf think Frodo is the best hobbit in the Shire. And I really wish the movies could have, for me, shown more about why that is. Because for a lot of this, Frodo is in struggle mode almost from the beginning, you know? And, but he's a lot tougher than the movies make him out to be. And he's much more of a leader. And I feel like that there are just a few, like, director direction type things that could have been said to him um, about like how he handles the pain of the morgul blade for example or also there's like certain lines that i would have given him to Gollum about how he holds Gollum to that promise on the ring they don't really talk about that much after it happens but i think that that's really key for frodo and also just showing for, for because to me Frodo understands that it's not only important for Frodo's sake to be nice to Gollum, right? But it's also that Gollum deserves it. Like, he he is not beyond... He understands that he's not beyond saving. And But the movies don't make him out like that at all. But I just think that there's some more, like... You know, Frodo is just such a... He's, like, a really good diplomat. Like, he's really good at, like, breaking barriers between people, like, cultural differences between groups and, you know, really um, helping people come together. And I I don't think that comes through as much as it could have in the movie. And so that's, you know, just, like, with a few extra lines here and there and some, like, slight different, like, acting direction, I think Frodo could be a much stronger character to me. Yeah, I think that's a. I I see what you mean about the, yeah, but it, the f- book, the Frodo in the book is a lot more wiser. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but also, I think that's a byproduct of casting such a young Frodo. Yeah, I think Elijah Wood was what like nineteen twenty when yeah. he was cast, ridiculously young. No, no, um, I think he had so, his nineteenth you know, birthday there. Yeah, something like that. He was mm-hmm. he was crazy. Um, so. Yeah, I think it's a byproduct of casting such a young Frodo who if we then make him as wise and mature as the book Frodo, mm-hmm. it would look really odd. I guess so. There's just something, I mean, I guess yeah. that they use, because I think by the end of the movie, he's very much acting like Frodo. And I guess they chalk that up to his experience with the ring. Mm-hmm. But I think that to me, like he's always kind of like that, except for maybe the added sadness and pain that's like a little different by the by the end but he definitely you know elijah wood definitely had it in him to to act Mm -hmm. the way that i see frodo acting um and i think that could have been an interesting to even with him being so young to kind of like you know how you have people say like oh you're an old soul or like oh you know like he could be like one of those kids where it's like he Mm -hmm. um has wisdom beyond his years kind of thing but but yeah i hear what you're saying but i think i think elijah had it in him yeah, I think he did. And I think now thinking about it, what could have helped was if they just had, you know, the, the scene when Frodo meets the elves. Mm-hmm. If they kept maybe like five minutes of that. Yeah. Of that five minute sequence where you see that, like before he gets Rivendell, you know that you see that Frodo already knows about elves. He mm-hmm. also already made travels with Bilbo. He's already speaks um, Cinderin to an extent, like, mm-hmm. you know, a tiny bit. Yeah. Um, and he knows so much history of things when you, you see that Frodo is not the average hobbit. Mm-hmm. when you know and the way you contrast that between the way that sam acts when he sees the 
else yeah, that's no, the way Florida that scene was majorly yeah. missing for me too yeah if you added that then you wouldn't need to do so much legwork to because people would then already have the preconception when they see Florida everywhere else that he is not just a regular hobbit but yeah, yeah so just that five minute scene would have been great with the elves rather than just watching them walk by right totally agree Mm-hmm. Callie, any thoughts on Frodo? No, pretty much the same. Same. But, uh, yeah, uh, like I definitely also agree that I mean Elijah could have acted the way uh, that we would have wanted, but it, I don't think that's what direction he was going. Yeah, in, so. totally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely think that it's very Petery of him to like when he's got the Morgul blade thing and he's like fading real fast in the movie and not like I think that could have been a very cute moment there where he's like fighting it and trying to hide it from everyone but then Sam could be the person that only notices that Frodo is struggling you know what I mean um, but they they speed up that scene so fast that like I, I get it but I'm also like meh um but you know the whole like the way he ter- starts turning green a little bit, and he's like Ugh. foaming at the mouth. Yeah, that's very <laughs> Peter. That's so yeah. Peter. Um, so yeah, I think genuinely what Peter Jackson was kind of worried about is that when people talk about how they read the books, they're like the fellowship is so hard to get into. It's so slow. I get bored halfway to like at the start of the book, and I give up. And he really wanted to avoid that with the films. Mm. So he's like, we can't spend ages in the Shire. We can't spend ages at Bree and like on the journey and like no. Frodo slowly succumbing to the plate. It's like, you got to get to Rivendell. Mm. We got to get the story going. Yeah. So yeah, it's just like speeding things up. Making, totally. Yeah. Totally. Um, the, I mean, there is one thing I sort of very much dislike about the films. Um, even though Return of the King is my favorite. And I think we've all talked about this before. And it's kind of the prevalent thing is I really, really don't like the ghost army coming to Minister this. And I think it yeah. really wouldn't have been that difficult to he change just, that. I know. Peter just, he writes himself yeah. to a wall, into a corner. Like, yeah. he, he makes it too big. It's too big. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, yeah, it's a big, just cut down some orcs and then basically have a, maybe like, I think the whole ghost, the way he summons the ghost thing is kind of ridiculous anyway. I think it's a bit over the top and a bit much. Yeah. Um, like a whole skeleton comes sliding down and I know, the king comes they're... out and he's like, oh, I accept anyway. It's a <laughs> yeah. bit much. Um, Their design so is that could have been whatever. definitely simplified. Yeah. That could have been like way simplified and be like the way they do it in the film. It's just like Aragorn summons them and, and it's so it's so much more creepy in the mm. book. Because Aragorn summons them and just Yeah, I, I totally And then Legolas is like, they're following. It's so much creepier in the book. And then just have like a couple scenes of like couple 30 second scenes of like Aragorn telling a lord, like, bring your men. Um, They wouldn't even Mm. have to show the, uh, the, what's that city called? The coast city starting with a P. Oh. I want to say Pelagir. 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 Something like that. They wouldn't even need to show that city. It's just like have Aragorn mention it that Mm -hmm. they're going to bring some, uh, bring your men. Yeah, because they bring humans, not just ghosts. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, they bring humans. Yeah, they, think... The ghosts only help with the ships. So, yeah, the and like the leave, things happening though. in South Gondor. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's one thing that isn't, I think only the Nazgul really do it in the movies, but that like there are so many uh, characters in the books where it's like their main weapon is fear, not so much 
mm-hmm. fighting people. Like, that's the thing with the ghosts. They, like, scare the shit out of the pirates and they leave. I mean, yeah, they fight some. Basically. But, like, they they scare a lot of them away. And, mm-hmm. um, which honestly, I think is also a, a good comment on the way Tolkien thinks about war because he isn't so big on these like most of the battles are not massive which makes sense because Sauron wasn't ready it's like that's the whole Mm -hmm. point is that they force his hand a little bit with Minas Tirith and um you know by Aragorn using the the Palantir at Helm's Deep um but the so the fact that it is this like massive thing isn't I mean it's just it's a little much and uh Mm -hmm. it it makes the the, they have to use the ghosts at that point because there is just so much happening yeah i think if you cut down the number of folks and then just not even by much you could you could just have a big army of humans show up yep Mm -hmm. it'd be like aragorn came with thousands of humans who until then were defending the south because of the ships and they're like they got rid of the ships and now the humans can come and fight i know and i know it's like other rangers yeah. yeah yeah That would have been nice. And then, yeah, just make it simpler. And I think it, and I think the ghost, uh, because I love the charge of the Rohirrim so much, and I don't want to, I don't want to say that the ghost army sort of undermines that moment, but mm-hmm. it's still you, you're still left with the feeling of if the ghost had come like an hour earlier. Yeah, yeah. None of I this would have happened. You know. I know. Whereas, like, if the humans had come an hour earlier, it still would have been important for the charge, and like, they and still would have died. Yeah. So, yeah. The ghost sticks machina it's a bit weird yeah it's a it's it's a little much uh mm-hmm. that's how, that's also how i feel about the warg scene but that's in two towers and i'm not gonna go there <laughs> yeah. but it's um the other the adaptation change the war yeah aragorn dying for some reason or like oh my disappearing God. and then coming back and it's like what was the point of that? None of us thought Aragorn was dead. It's so that nobody I thought know. that. It's so that Aragorn could push the doors open. You know what? Yeah, worth it. <laughs> worth it. Worth it. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people were awakened that day. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> oh. So, all right, we're keeping it. Um, I think mm-hmm. another thing that I would change is um, I would have shifted it so that Eowyn does not flirt so heavily with Aragorn. You know, not mm-hmm. only because it's not like that in the books, you know, it's much more subtle and, you know, more like glances than being like, I'm obsessed with you. Um, Here's some soup. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. The soup scene. I, oh, would, soup throw it, so I would throw it away. <laughs> Toss it in the mm-hmm. trash. Um, but I also, I yeah. think it takes, because they take so much time to focus on her obsession with Aragorn, I think it takes away from who she really is. You know, her character is kind of reduced to, until Return of the King, um, where she has her moment, you know, but we don't get to see, like, a lot of who she is before that, you know, I mean, we see that she has some skill with a blade, and, like, she brings her sword with her to Dunharrow, but they're, um, it's all just, like, mostly pining after Aragorn, but she's a woman of, like, such ambition and action that I would have loved to see, you know, like, she has that conversation with Aragorn at Dunharrow, but they really just make it about her saying, I want to go with you because I love you rather than her being the, that when they, 
kind of argue i love that part where you know she's like oh you would just have you know me stay with the like because women have to stay with the house and you know we'll mind it until you don't have use for it anymore you know it's like it's very like feminist moment and i i would have loved to have her instead of just always like obsessing over aragorn have this moment where they're not agreeing you know they have Mm -hmm. different you know ways of the going about the world and i think that that would have been great to see um instead of all of this i love aragorn stuff and i and i think it would have been a it would have been a really great depiction of the fact that she's not necessarily pining for Aragorn because he's a good-looking guy or because he's going to be the king of Gondor or whatever. It's because of what he represents, of, like, the fact that through him she can escape this sort of monotony and this, like, being stuck at home while everyone else goes to fight. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, that's what that's what Aragorn represents, uh, and that's why she loves him, in a sense. It's, like, not yeah. who he is, but who he represents. Yeah, and so, well... like, if, if they showed her arguing with Aragorn on this point... And being like, take me with you, um, and being more clear about it, it would have mm-hmm. would have made that clearer that yeah, she's not necessarily being like, oh, look at this really good looking guy, yeah, king of Gondor, noble lord. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's not what she sees in Aragorn. Yeah, she's yeah, exactly. She is, and at that point, I think that there is um, there's so much that I think Eowyn understands, and really, it's it. There's not like a ton of going about it in the book but there are these little hints or whatever but i think that she understands that theoden hasn't been the best king you know and she's kind of had to sit back and watch up until now and you know gandalf kind of like setting off these events but i think that that it's like a burning inside of her you know that she hasn't been able to do something because you know valor and renown are so important to her and to her people you know i mean we get this whole explanation from faramir about the differences between like numenorians and other men of middle earth and stuff and i think that she um and her arc is really going from kind of this more like person who's willing to go to extremes for her people you know she's willing to die in order to bring uh you know to help bring honor to the name of her house right but she is also after that and she's grieving over theoden i mean we don't even get to see that really um in the movie she just like nods at faramir or whatever but like her grief she she wanted to run after aragorn and like the men who go off to mordor and she wants to she, she you know she's struggling with like who am i now and Faramir helps her realize, like, that the world isn't, like, isn't ending. That there is, you know, we can have things that are beautiful and we can heal the world, you know. And then she she has this, you know, change of heart. Or not really a change of heart, but the way he, Tolkien puts it, she finally understands, you know, what she wants to be. And I think it's, it's I think it's a really beautiful arc. And then it's, it's just, pff, she's obsessed with Aragorn. That's, that's her story in the movies. And I... It, it's a little sad because she's she's so much more mm-hmm. I think I mean she gets to do a lot in Return of the King although the tail end of that arc does get cut short because every, yeah, like you said everything every, all of our conversations with Faramir once they've all left mm-hmm. is quite significant to wrapping up her story and we don't really get that but um, yeah so the way her arc ends in the book is a lot different of like 
she yeah. finally fulfills her dream exactly what we get whereas in the book it's sort of like the realization is that fulfilling this dream isn't really what makes you happy and yeah. like this isn't actually what you were looking for mm-hmm. is more of a story in the book i guess it's just still great character one yeah. of my favorites in the I book know. and the film love her love her so much Mm-hmm. Um, and then my final thing is I wrote more Christopher Lee. <laughs> like, I am not <laughs> satisfied by his ending in Return of the King, especially since it's only an extended edition scene. Um, you know, everything. I believe that when we talked about it. That I know. insane to me. I know. Insane. It's wrong. It's, in, it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it hurts me to think about, um, cutting Christopher Lee and from, any of it really and then of course we're not getting the scouring the shire and i totally understand why they didn't do that that's like a lot um, after all of the things that happened in the movie you can't have we're not gonna have two climaxes but um mm-hmm. i think there was more from the scouring like w- within saruman's end that they that, i think that could have easily been in like a extended extended scene you know why not at that point <laughs> um but christopher lee just does such an amazing job with saruman i would have given him as many lines as I could. The same way that I would have... The same way that Gandalf, um, like Ian McKellen, gets to keep a lot of Gandalf's lines, I would have made sure that Christopher Lee had as many as well. Mm-hmm. So I have never seen the theatrical cuts of these films. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the first time I watched it was extended and then afterwards it's just like, what's the point? Um, so right. what actually... I'm not exactly clear on what we see in the theatrical cuts. So in the theatrical... How does that end? They show up, so at like the beginning, it start like obviously we have the opening with um, Smeagol turning into Gollum, which I would also uh, I could take it or leave it. Um, and then it cuts to we've got the our lovely friends um, showing up like Aragorn, Theoden, and crew show, walking through that forest into Isengard, um, and they head straight. To, you know we've got. Welcome, my lords, to Isengard. And then we have, we cut to, um, instead of checking in on Saruman, it's the filth of Saruman is washing away from Treebeard. And that it's just, we just assume that he's stuck in Orthanc, basically, is the implication for the audience. Mm-hmm. Not that he's dead. A- um, and so it's the cut to uh, Pippin finding the Palantir is really just him noticing something shiny in the water. There's no, like, dropping of it. We don't see that oh, happen. Oh, I see. Okay, right. So there's no conversation with Saruman. Right. At all. Yep. So they sort of just show up. Treebeard says the filter's washing away, and then Pippin finds the Palantir. Yeah. Oh, that's significant. It's horrifying, really isn't it, Anik? Strange decision. <laughs> yeah, why Why wouldn't you show that? Because it's, it's a pivotal scene. Like, there's so much Theoden backstory and Theoden character arc that's important in that moment. Um, I know, it's like you're kind of, like, settling the the matter of your big bad from Two Towers. Uh, Yeah, the fact, and, like, yeah, no, and the Theoden moment is sort of, I know that it's not the key moment of that scene, but when he says to Theoden, like, you're a lesser son of a lesser house. Greater sire. Yeah, 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 greater sires, and then, and that sort of in a sense, motivates Theoden to achieve so much greatness by the end of that film. Mm-hmm. It's Yeah, it's a key scene. It's a really strange decision that they cut it. I know. <laughs> I'm upset yeah. about happened, it. But... No, they didn't. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> you know what? We could have no. cut all these freaking ghosts. Um, we could have cut mm. all the skulls falling. Like I don't know. Yeah. So that was that was something uh, a common theme throughout our discussions was that I I found that they favored the big battles over the small but very pivotal moments that we find in the books. Yeah. And I get that. I get that. Like uh, some of my favorite book moments would not have made good movie scenes. Sure. And that's fine. Um, but everything but about Armand is a good movie yeah. scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fight me. Yeah. I... <laughs> um, and watching, watching a lot of interviews for Rings of Power, I get the feeling that a similar thing is sort of happening in the Rings of Power where, because it's a streaming service, I don't know if this could happen, but there's, totally could be an extended rings of power because um mm. so i was watching an interview with uh, emma Horvath who plays uh, yarian mm-hmm. um, and she was saying how the scene her first scene with the sealed on the beach was like three days of filming wow and there was like lots of dialogue and lots of conversations that happened on that beach and you get that very short scene and that's um, all you get and also um between and, and also in episode four, between her meeting Kevin and like being Kevin being like, okay, that's a date, and then yeah. she shows up to and she shows up to Zildor, and then Zildor's like, who is the boy? Like they actually filmed the date, the oh. dinner with oh. her and Kevin, um, and she was saying how Kevin Kevin was sort of very sort of very like um, charming and like light, and like his language was what made Ayarian fall in love with him and all that <gasps> kind of stuff, and they cut it of like. Mm. Because you get the sense of like, why is Ayarian falling in love, falling in love with the son of Farazon? And it's that dinner, and she's like, the dinner was cut. But oh, dang it! Yeah. So hmm. I want an extended, ex- I want an extended, extended. If Lord Amazon of Rings, I want an knows, of power. And if they understand anything about Lord of the Rings fans, is that we want more. Um, and mm-hmm. the way that I think, you know, in talking about the movies, I think that. There is something so incredibly special, not only about the extended edition, but the appendices in those editions, like all the extra footage. And like, I've heard countless stories of people saying that this is what made them fall in love with filmmaking. Like, this is like seeing all of the behind the scenes and getting to see the cast. And granted, I think that this has also made some people think that they know the cast better than they do, and, you know, like leading to weird fan moments, but. I won't go into that, but like, um, but seriously, the the way that we have been able to get to see the the way that the those films were made, I think, has also made them so so special to people, and it's really like for me, like carved out a special place in my heart. Getting to see like not only the cast and their chemistry together off screen, but also the crew, and getting to appreciate all of the amazing work that they put into it. You know, because mm-hmm. you see it in the movie, but then getting to really kind of walk with them as they go on that journey, that you know, together as to to make all of these amazing props and effects. It's just like it's it's amazing. So yeah. Amazon, if I mean, you're really paying attention, give us that. Just at the end, just like one hour bonus content, bonus behind the scenes thing. And also... They could release behind the scenes, like every thing that they have filmed, even if it's not edited from December until next yes. September, we would eat it up. Mm-hmm. Like, you yes. don't have to edit that, Amazon. 100%. Just give it to us. <laughs> just give it to us raw. <laughs> Absolutely. That is still... I'm still waiting on... Just raw, give it to us wriggling. <laughs> but like i'm still waiting on peter to somehow 
give us like there's so many Eowyn scenes fighting that didn't like that she fights at Helm's Deep. She helps deliver a baby that's not seen. Like, what? like yeah, like there's like there's that like, happens. I'm pretty sure she's like covered in blood and fighting, but I think it's because she helps deliver a baby in Helm's Deep. Um, and there's like <laughs> that's incredible. Ar- there's like Arwen and Galadriel and Lothlorien together. Mm-hmm. There's I even Arwen yeah. at Helm's Deep, and it's like I know that's unhinged, but at this point just give it to me like <laughs> i don't even I don't, care i don't need i want to helm's deep i don't i don't need that to fit into the thing i just want to see what they feel i just want to see it i just yeah. it, you don't yeah. have to put it into the movie you don't have to figure out what cut nope just just release it just as is no context no just, context just, yeah. <laughs> we don't need context here's a, anymore nope. <laughs> here's a here's a non-canon deleted scene yeah. this is this didn't happen in the films <laughs> it's just something we filmed also, I want Arwen and Galadriel's scene to be in the film so that we can have two women talking in the film. Facts. Yeah. I also yeah, that, would, that, would be, that. that would be nice. That'd be nice. I know. Um, I, and I was, uh, as I was talking about this now, I figured out a way that Amazon could ex- ac- absolutely put like extended editions on their s- streaming service. Mm-hmm. And it could just be that when you click on an episode, it ha- gives you the option of normal or extended. And when you click on the extended, <gasps> it plays the extended episode or it plays the normal. Like people oh. can choose which one they want to watch. It's so nice. You don't need to put it up as two separate shows, just on the same show. You can just select for each episode. Yeah. 100%. They oh, must I would have. Love that. They have all the money in the world. Come How hard on. could it be? I know. Like, just they think about it. Because, you know, then they could just count that additional to their screening time. You know what I mean? Like, they tell us how many people mm-hmm. tuned in. And, like, we would double, triple our watch times with that because mm-hmm. we would be like oh yeah. shit you know more stuff comparisons yeah mm-hmm. and like they they could do that in between seasons of like in between season one and two but mm-hmm. halfway through they release the extended cut that'd be amazing and so it keeps their show in the sort of zeitgeist because people would still be talking about it mm-hmm. it's brilliant we should be doing marketing for the oh show oh my god we come on amazon yes. we're here <laughs> we're ready yes. add us to the team <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Uh, so okay so my last things here i know we've been talking forever but i do have some of my favorite things about the books um and these are more like general things um rather than because we've been deep diving into these books for months now and not that i'm ever going to stop but you know what i'm saying um so one of my notes here is that I know that this doesn't work for some readers, but I personally love Tolkien's super descriptive language. Like for me, Mm -hmm. he has a magical ability to instill awe and wonder as well as like a visceral fear. Like things with the Nazgul and Shelob's lair particularly, I mean, it's like, I'm like, whoa that's spooky that's uh that like it makes you feel some type the of way the whites were terrifying in the book exactly yeah mm-hmm, yeah so scary yeah. but then like them lying side by side with the long sword over oh yeah, my god the gosh. imagery is Spooks. over their neck it's uh, terrifying yeah Ooh. it gives me the ebgbs that's for sure but yeah. at the same time <laughs> yeah like right yeah. these really beautiful relationships like the things like the way frodo and sam's talk to each other and like everything about the gray haven chapter i mean like he can make me feel real spooked out and then also cry like a baby so mm-hmm. thanks tolkien <laughs> I know the language is one of those things where like it takes a while to get used to um like by the end of the first book is when you're like mm-hmm. this is the style of the book it's not like what 
most people write nowadays. It's very traditional, old style literature. Mm. Um, the language is very old. Um, and the way he writes, so his yeah, his prose is very old. But it, So it takes a while to get used to it. But once you do, you realize how great it is. And there's so many moments that just stick it's out to beautiful. me. Like one of the... Yeah, and it's it's complex, but it's also got a lot of simple moments mm-hmm. uh, where he isn't being so flowery. Like one of the yeah. moments that always stick with me is um, then this was cut from the films. I, I, mean, I don't think you'd lose much from it. I think it would have been cool to have it in the film. Um, is when Sam is tempted by the ring mm-hmm. and the ring shows him visions. And the, it's, it's just one paragraph of basically Sam sees this and because it's from Sam's perspective. It's a very simple, yeah. well, simply written paragraph. But it's still so clear and so beautiful, and 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 what it like shows about Sam and the way it talks about how Sam resists the ring, and it because the the way Sam resists the ring isn't by some like great power and great wisdom and great you know strength mm-hmm. coming into him. It's just Sam being Sam. Yeah, and it's, and it's, yeah, it's just one of those pieces of great writing that I always love. Yeah, that's that leads perfectly to like the second thing that I wrote is that I. In the books, we get to know the hobbits so much better, and that is really because we get to see from their perspective multiple times. Like, we get to see a lot from Pippin's perspective, even before they're, like, even as soon as they're, like, captured from by the orcs. Like, we start to see from Pippin and Mary's perspectives, and, you know, as Frodo starts to become more... Um, you know, struggles more and more with the ring, we, we switch to Sam perspective um, and we get to see what he's thinking and feeling. And, you know, through this, I mean, not only do we see like their love and dedication to each other because there's, he's constantly referencing their, how they're all thinking about each other, even when they're like hundreds of miles apart. But we also get to see like those moments where, what is Sam motivated by? You know, like what keeps Pippin going when he's separated from Mary, you know, and I think that it's their relationship, you know, like Frodo, Mary and Pippin, they're all like cousins. And then Sam's kind of like the odd man out, but like his, all of their love for Frodo is just so tangible. And it, it's really a driving force for like their friendship and dedication to each other is such a driving force throughout the whole story. And it's, I know that's hard to capture on film, but that's one of the things that I really love about the books is that we get to learn so much more about the hobbits and see their relationship between with each other. Mm-hmm. And we also spend so much more time in the Shire, I think, which helps. Um, because, and, you know, the, like, there's a whole chapter of um, Frodo, Sam, Mary, Pippin, and uh, Fatty Bulger mm-hmm. just in the, in the village, in their home, and, like, they have a shower and they sing songs and they have dinner and they plan and you know there's a whole and we see other hobbits mm-hmm. um, other than the four you know we see Farmer Maggot and like spending time with him mm-hmm. so yeah we see more of the hobbit life and what hobbits are like yeah so it's like the, it's the interesting to think about like if you've never read the books before but if you do love the hobbits I think that that's one thing that can really like help you get through some of you know the language if it's not really your bag but like getting to see more about them and what they're thinking and feeling i think is is a, a huge plus in the book mm-hmm. yeah um yeah and the other thing the other the other reason i would i love the books is because um 
and people always ask like oh i want to know more about like the story of the rings of power like what book do i read so i'm just mm. like read lord of the rings yeah because there's so many moments where they just drop history and they drop lore and they're just like explain backstory yeah that is um, one thing that i did in the book tolkien has a lot of fun with like so he doesn't yeah. i always feel like he never gives you you like a ton of backstory but he drops things in there that really gives you a sense of how old this world is and even but then even with mm -hmm. things like Shelob for example he'll be like and by the way she old AF and she's like been there for a long ass time and she's very hungry bitch mm -hmm. you know like he like drops in <laughs> these things where it's like I think, you know, from his perspective, he would probably, if he wanted to know more about something, he would include that there. And um, and then mm -hmm. he packs even more into the appendices, um, yeah. which is but uh, a lot of fun. Also, but also vice versa. Like, Tolkien sometimes just doesn't describe things. Like, if he doesn't what want happens you to, to know about it. after Sam stabs it? He's like, what happens to Shelob after Sam stabs it? I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't concern the story. So let's move Yeah, on. that's what he said. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Which it just—it just, just kind of cool. I mean, I'm like, what happened to Shelob? Really, like after Sauron is dead, but like doesn't concern the story. So we'll talk about it later. Yeah, he's like, don't worry about it. From it. Yeah, I mean, she got stabbed. She ran away. Um, she's been there for a while. She'd be fine. Yeah, she. Let's just get on with Sam saving Frodo. Exactly. He's like, don't don't you want to get back to like Frodo's in trouble? We need to we need to check in on that. <laughs> yeah. The spider thing is done, guys. Spider thing is done. Yeah. All right. We... That was a moment for Sam to be a hero. Spider thing is done. Stop worrying about the spider. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I kind of love that. So I mean, and you know, in addition, and building off of that, like. Like with the hobbits, you see. I mean, I just personally love the hobbits, so that's why I brought them up. But the same with like Gimli and Legolas. Like you get to see a lot more of their relationship. You also get to see mm -hmm. them caring about the hobbits. Like I always love that both Gimli and Legolas are just like really torn up about the idea of, you know, Merry and Pippin being tortured by orcs, and so they are really pushing themselves to keep searching. You know, um, and it's like. It's just it's just a different flavor in the movie. So if you want to see more of of them together, that the books are mm -hmm. are great for that as well. Yeah, and the Legolas and Gimli relationship is a lot more. It's a lot more in mm -hmm. the book. I think in the film, it's it's they sort of make fun of each other and they have a few laughs. But like you know, like the prime example being when Gim when Legolas finds. Um, you know, when in the Battle of Helm's Deep, when Gimli's kind of lost, and Legolas is totally not upset mm -hmm. that Gimli's lost. Right. He's, you know, he's pretending to be okay with it, and then he's talking to Aragorn, and he's like, you know what, I'm gonna go look for Gimli. Mm -hmm. And he just heads off uh, looking for Gimli, and when Gimli says, like, I won, Legolas is like, I don't care, I'm just glad that you're okay. Yeah. Basically. And it's a very different relationship. Yeah. Absolutely. And the, also, like, their whole planning of them going off together to see the glittering caves and to explore Fangorn Forest together, like, that's cut out of the movies. Um, but oh, I think that oh, that's... that's it's so sweet. Like, mm -hmm. just Fran and their bro trip after the war. It's... I love it. Mm -hmm. And also the fact that they use that to not only hang out and, like, sh share what, you know, their differences and, like, getting to know each other better because like Legolas is like uh caves and Gimli's like no like you don't understand like this is insane you know and like how you when you share 
Uh, it just makes me think of like this whole thing with with you know when with Anna and I like she likes to gush about Game of Thrones to me even though I don't know anything about it but I'm just excited she's excited and like vice versa with Lord of the Rings we're just like ah you know so like sharing mm-hmm. your passions with each other but then they also use that to come up with plans for how they're going to make the world better after the war you know they're going to they talk about how they're not only going to fix Minas Tirith together but you know how they're going to turn the glittering caves into something beautiful and you know how they're gonna they're gonna fix Athelion and bring it back to life, and there's so many cool things like that where it's you know it's not just about the war, but they like all the characters are also thinking about like the future and how they can make things better, which I love. Yeah, yeah it's uh, there's a lot of things I love about Lord of the Rings. There's a lot of things to yeah, love we, about we, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. It's, it's mm-hmm. packed. It's jam-packed with lovable yeah. moments. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We we could we have multiple uh, we could have multiple like multi-hour conversations about this thing. Easily. And several, yeah, easily. Many, many hours. Yeah. And <sighs> you know, my last note, like in that same vein, is just how when I'm reading the books like i think when i put on the movies now because i they're more or less like memorized in my brain at this point they're really like a comfort thing you know like i put them on during the pandemic all the time just to be like ah just let let it wash over me you know but when i'm reading the books there's always something there's because they're chock full of so much information and and also because of just like i think it's just the way they're written but like every time i read them i feel like i learn not only something new about middle earth that i didn't realize before i didn't notice or i didn't really take note of but like i feel like i learned something about myself in the process like as i grow and change and have different experiences like different parts of the book hit me differently you know i think Mm -hmm. that's been a big part of rereading them this past year um i've just been like whoa like i don't remember that or like whoa that that really hit me different this time and I, I I get that every time I read them, just based on timing or you know whatever. It it there's always something there's something so special about that. Yeah, I think that's hundred percent true. It's because um, it, when I was talking about the humor, that's one of the things that never really hit me about Lord of the Rings is that mm-hmm. it is quite funny at times. Mm-hmm. Um, like one of my favorite lines is when um, like. Uh, I think it was Theoden. Yeah, one of my, yeah. It's when Theoden asks Merry and Pippin, like, "Tell me about your homes. Like, tell me about oh my gosh, Ashaya. Yes. And Gandalf is like, Gandalf is like, basically says, "Dude, you don't know what you've just asked." Yeah, he's like, like "No, we don't." Yeah, have time I feel for sorry this. for you because we could be here for hours. We don't have time for this. Let's just move <laughs> on. <laughs> and he's like, "Tell me about food," and he's like, "Oh no." I know. I just like and their... it's quite funny. It's so funny. Like the way that they tease each other. I mean, the relationships feel mm-hmm. so real. Um, and yeah. the yeah, there, there's so many funny moments like that where they're just yeah. like teasing each other or you know having a good time and. Um, mm-hmm. Well, just the gossiping healer of Minnesota <laughs> just keeps showing up in scenes. <laughs> she's because the, the first time she's introduced, it's the whole thing of like Gandalf being like. Uh, you know, you'll be remembered forever. And then she shows up again in the scene. And then she shows up again at Aragorn's con- like coronation. And she just keeps showing up in scenes. I know. She's like, but, I will be remembered by somebody. Yeah. That is the reader it's, it's, of uh, Lord yeah. of the Rings. <laughs> it's, it's a lot funnier than you think it is. Yeah. 
there's a there's a lot of sweet moments like that and that's where you know like i completely forgot that the counting game that legolas and gimli do is canon like it's in the book but it feels very much like movie uh legolas and gimli but it's totally there and it's just you can Mm -hmm. see like peter jackson kind of leaning into certain different aspects of the relationships and that's one of them like he makes that a little sillier than they are all the time but um yeah there's always there's always something new to discover i feel like well those are all the notes that i had i know that this is probably one of our longer episodes but we we, i mean we basically went through the whole trilogy again Mm-hmm. I knew this wouldn't like. I was be like, this quick. is going to be a while, girl. Like, <laughs> yeah, you told me one hour. You told me one hour. Well, I was whoops. like, that's not. I had a feeling that's not happening. <laughs> it's like for yeah. all, like our favorite moments of all of them. Are you kidding? I like, don't know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we spent an hour on the Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was my favorite. Yeah. It's it's always a pleasure. Yeah, it's always great. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, well, I really appreciate both of you helping me parse through all my thoughts on this. Um, it's It's been a good run. And, uh, I mean, we're going we're gonna to do The Hobbit next. Um, so that's going to be interesting. That's going to take some more planning than... I mean, this one took a lot of planning. I'm not going to lie. So, I, But I'm interested to see what I'm going to have to do in order to get... Figure out, like how to i mean obviously we could go chapter by chapter but then p like the hobbit movies just kind of go off the rails so um you know like i know there's some appendices stuff in there but otherwise i don't know this is going to be a slightly different planning process i think for that one but we're just as excited i think this will be fun because it's like where lord of the rings i i very much love and have loved since i was 11 years old with the hobbit i mean i I love the book obviously it's like one of my comfort reads but like with the movies i had such a different experience with them um when they were first coming out like i saw the first movie like three times in theaters and every time i was like wait i'm not sure if i liked that as much as i thought i did and um and I, i the struggle just got harder for me with um the as the movies kept coming out so but i'm i'm hoping to look at it with a fresh pair of eyes we're, we're gonna have friends on that um love it more than i do and so uh who knows who knows what will happen but seriously love and appreciate you both so much for being here today and um i know that this is like technically our last one talking about these books in depth in the way that we have been so uh, I'm kind of sad to see it go, but at the same time, onward and upwards, like we have a lot of fun stuff coming up. So thanks again. Thank you for all our listeners for, you know, this wild ride of a season. Um, and we'll be back soon.